0: Good morning, morning. how are you all? Luke, can you come pray for us, bro? Come pray for me. Yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. Just short, just fine, doesn't need to be fancy, but come pray for me. It's good to get some young guys up. Come say a prayer for us to go into the Word.
1: With a microphone and everything, huh? Yep,
0: Everything. (laughs)
1: Hi, I'm Luke. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for all of us to be able to gather here this morning. Lord, in the midst of chaos in this world, <laughs> in the midst of chaos in this world, Lord, we pray for Your will to be done. We pray for the protection of Your people in Israel and Your people all over the world. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of Your Spirit. In all of our lives and the lives of everyone else, Lord. Just let your will be done. Let your Holy Spirit pour out. And let your Holy Spirit pour out and be with Clay. And let your Spirit speak through him. And let him give the message that you need to give to all of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Wow. Wonderful. That's it. I'm wonderful. eh? You want to preach bro? That was great. I wonder if you can go in your Bibles please. We're going to jump right in. Go to the book of Acts. We're in a series on the book of Acts. I can't recap for the sake of time. We will go over some things that we went over last week. I'm probably going to need my glasses. Yay. Maria, I still have your pen here. I'm sorry. So, good morning again. You guys good? Wonderful. Wonderful. And so we're going to quickly uh, look again at the book of Acts. Maybe we'll get through Peter's sermon today, maybe not. We'll see where we go. There's so much in here. Every time I read it, it's like a tonic to me. I encourage you to just read it and just, just read. You know, there's a difference between reading and studying the Word. And I encourage you to do both. Sometimes just take a book of the New Testament, take a chapter, take any part of the Scripture that God puts on your heart, and just read it. Don't stop. Just read it. Even if you have to stand and just read it out loud. I used to do that sometimes. Just read. And read it like a letter. Remove the chapters. Remove the verses. Just read it, especially in the New Testament. It'll take you sometimes 45 minutes just to get through like the book of Galatians. Just read it so that you go from beginning to end. And then other times take it and read it and you'll get to a verse and it just seems pregnant with meaning. Stay there. Stay there for a week if you have to. There's a difference between meditating on the Word of God, reading the Word of God, and studying the Word of God. And I encourage you to do both. All right, so in Acts chapter 2, you can actually, let's go to Acts Acts 1. And so please give me grace. The slides will probably, I didn't get time to do a lot of them, so they're very, there's not many of them. So you're going to have to do a little bit of work this morning. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Verse 7, it says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can we say the word witnesses? Now I know we are in Peter's sermon. We got to the first two points. We're going to maybe get to the rest today. But there's these little rabbit trails that even during worship, the Lord said, just in my heart, touch on this, touch on this. This word witnesses is a big deal. It's where we get our word martyr from. Martyr or martyr in the Greek. But the word witness is something, remember the first week, to be spirit-filled, unfortunately, it has become a title. uh, People think I'm a spirit-filled believer or I'm not a spirit-filled believer. I know we've covered this. In my view, and you don't have to agree with me, but I encourage you to have your opinion based on the Bible. In my view, it seems in Scripture that a spiritful person is not a type, but a state. It's being immersed in the Holy Spirit, and you can wade into the river of God as deep as you want, whenever you want. Because Christ has opened the way, yeah? And every time, if I looked at the book of Acts, if I had no... Uh, teaching, if I grew up, didn't grow up in church, if I didn't, I wasn't told, well, there's this type of believer or that type, if I just went to the book of Acts and read it, every single time that phrase, they were filled, they were filled, they were baptized, they were filled, every time it happens, the very, it says that the very next thing that happens is that day, say it out loud, spoke, it's like 10 people that have learned this, this is great. So what happened is they would be filled with the Spirit. Yes, the first time it happens was the birth of the church, but they would be filled with the Spirit, not something that was like that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was for a special chosen few. But here they were filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit came to rest upon them, and then they would preach or speak. And so the first time, as we know, is the birth of the church. But those same people sometimes were in another meeting, on another place in their life, or another, later on it says, and they were filled. But then they spoke. They preached, they testified, sometimes against incredible persecution, against incredible sacrifice. So they were, in a sense, overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. Not like he made them do something they didn't want to do. No, they had to pray for boldness. But they were filled with the Spirit, and because they were so immersed in the things of God and the Spirit of God, they began to speak. They began to preach. They began to testify. They began to share. That doesn't mean that a person's not filled with the Spirit unless they're a preacher. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying it's not just a type of believer. You get a spiritful church and a non-spiritful. I know that's how we think, but biblically it's more than that. It's a state of a believer. You can be so filled and immersed with the Spirit of God, all you want to do is talk about Jesus. All you want to do is talk about the Holy Spirit. All you want to do is just God, the Lord, Jesus. Who knows what I'm talking about? You're filled, you're immersed. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come and you will be my witnesses. Well, it's interesting because this word witness, if you go to Acts 2, it says this, In Acts 2.32, I think it is, it says, This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. They use that word. You go to Acts 4, I think it's 4, um, yeah, 4.33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You go to acts 5 32 and it says and we are his witnesses to these things and so also is the holy spirit acts 532 we are witnesses he says the holy spirit will come upon you and you'll be witnesses then they start they would preach and they would say we are witnesses and then they add in Acts 5 And so also is the Holy Spirit to God, whom God has given to those who obey Him. What's the point I'm making? That when it says in Acts 2, which we'll get to, after the message from Peter, it says they were cut to the heart. They were pierced. Their hearts were pierced with truth. What happens is that's not just intellect. Through the preaching of the Word, when the Holy Spirit is using a person as a vessel and they are filled with the Spirit, and they are speaking, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Those words go into people's lives, go into people's heart, and it pierces their heart. And that becomes to them so strong, it's like a knowing. You notice what I'm talking about? It's like you just, they, and people that didn't even believe something ten minutes earlier, all of a sudden, it's like they know like they know like they know it's the truth and that is called in the Bible the inner witness of the Holy Spirit and that is so strong it can be so strong in a person's life it's like it becomes to them as evidence they don't need evidence anymore that word witness is a legal word in the Greek as a person would stand in court and give a testimony a witness and that's what happens. The inner witness of the Spirit is so strong, and not everyone experiences this all the time, I understand that, but it's so strong, it becomes into that person's heart as if it was evidence. It becomes the evidence. I have a knowing of God. I have a knowing of the Holy Spirit. I have a knowing inside me. I can't explain it. I just know. That is the witness of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And this is what happened in the New Testament. People would be filled with the Spirit. They would begin to speak about the things of God. And people would come to a knowing in their heart. I know it! Without having any evidence. Why? Because it's not, it's faith. And they just, they believed. And this is how the early church operated. So they knew we need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will give witness. That's what they said. We are witnesses. So also is the Holy Spirit. And He will put in a person's heart an inner witness that they know something. Like with you could heaven and earth could be moved and they would know, no, I know the truth. And then someone comes along with intellect and says, Well, I'll explain this. I don't know how to explain that to you but I know the truth in my heart. This is the word witness. What about the word church? Boy, this is not Peter's sermon. Lord, help us. This word church, Jesus only used the word church twice. And it's important. Why? Because this is the birth of the early church. On this day, the church was birthed. What was the word church? What did it mean to them? Not what does it mean to you and me. What does it mean to people that have, and you've heard me, many of you have maybe heard me touch on this. But it meant something different to them than it meant to us. Can I read you something? It's not coming up behind me, like I said, but you've already forgiven me for that, so that's wonderful. Jesus only used the word church twice. (laughs) Once in Matthew 16. Oh, it is? (laughs) Look at that. Man, thank you, Lord. I didn't even know it was up there. That's great. In Matthew 16, where he said, on this rock, I will build my church. The rock is the revelation of who Jesus is. He said, on this rock, revelation of who I am, I will build my ecclesia, my church. Matthew 8. that's the universal church. Matthew 18, the local church, talks about how to deal with issues in amongst the local church, like a gathering of people. So one is the universal, one is local. How's this? Greeks came up with the concept of democracy, but they never fully applied it, but they formed the idea. When the Romans took over the Greek empire, they implemented and developed the thoughts of the Greeks concerning government, which is how Caesar developed such a powerful government. This is why some have called the Romans practical leaders. They put into practice what others theorized about. So the Senate was the governmental body of Rome. It was just Caesar in the beginning, but it ended with also the Senate. And the Senate is not like our Senate. I know there's a little bit of history. But the Senate were hand-picked people by the emperor, by the king, by Caesar. Hand-picked people. And they would actually come to live in or around or right near the palace. They would be very close. And he, through hand-picking these people, would give them, and they would spend a lot of time together. Literally, they would spend all their time together. And he would give them... The, in, the intents of his heart. He would give them, this is how I think about this. This is how I imagine this. This is my desire. This is my heart. This is what I want. And they would come to know each other so well that even in his absence, they would be able to bring about, in a sense, the will of the king. Because they knew him. It wasn't like they needed to pick up the phone. Well, you know, they didn't have them. But What do you want to do? They just knew him. And that specifically chosen body of people, those personally selected individuals, was called the senate. The Greek word for that is ecclesia. So when Jesus stands up and says in Matthew 16 and then again in Matthew 18, I will build my church, it wasn't a religious organization in their mind. It was currently at their time The word on the earth in their sphere, it was the word for a governmental body of people that had been hand-picked and chosen, that come to know personally the king's heart, his intents, his thoughts, and through the relationship developed, begin to govern from that place of relationship with authority. This is the word church this is God's original intention that I will call you I know you by name I will call you I will give you authority eternal life is what John 17:3 eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent I've called you you will come to know me we will build relationship I will put my heart into you you will come to know my intents my thoughts my heart my word who I am and we will build a relationship but I will give you authority because i've called you out of the world and i've given you authority it's like governmental authority not to take over the governments on the earth but to deal with the government of the devil in the unseen realm this is church to them friends i, I offend some people when i say this jesus never tried to start a religion Yeah, praise god it was a belief it was a truth it was you are my people and i will give you authority and then he said i will give you keys you know the term steward in the old days of the kingdom days the term steward was a person when the king would leave the kingdom like go travel or do whatever they would take a key they would actually sew it onto the guy's shoulder and that guy had been given the keys of the kingdom. And it was sewed into his shoulder. And he was called a steward. He would rule in place of the king. What does the Bible say? For the government of God, think about the church. They'll be given governmental authority to deal with the dominion of darkness on the earth. And it says in the, in the Old Testament, it says, for the government of God will be upon his shoulder. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We are the... Christ is the head. We are the... It's great, we can go home. Where's the shoulder? Is it in there? No, it's in the body. We have been given authority from the Lord not to do our will. What vessel does the Holy Spirit long for? A vessel that looks like Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I have not come to speak my own words. I only say what I hear. Oh, what a vessel that is for the Holy Spirit to operate by. And we have been given as the church, as the ecclesia, as the governing body of God's people on the earth against what the enemy's plans are to bring about the thoughts, the intents, the plans, the heart of God, to reform society. Not just to have a nice church. That's great. That's important. But it's to actually transform something. This is God's original intention for the church. So when he said church, they heard Senate. We have to understand that. Was there, I, I have been, what, authority? Ruling authority? Yes, but not over people. We are called to serve people because we can deal with the demonic. So we serve. Not rule and govern and control people. But deal with the monkey on their back. This is part of the original, just the word, church. They understood it. So when they received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, and they were so filled and immersed with the Spirit, and they began to speak, and the Holy Spirit puts a witness in people's hearts. And it says of these men that they were accused of turning the world upside down. Why? Because they had the Holy Spirit. And they understood without being complicated we've been given authority not to deal with Rome, they left Rome alone. Not to come against the old religious system, they left them alone. To preach the gospel, and the gospel has inherent power to push out all other belief systems so that life and truth can come. I'm not sure if many people in this room, there may be some, I include myself, who have ever seen the original power of the gospel preached in a place of a pagan belief system ruling a a nation or a place and the gospel is preached and you watch that pagan thing be pushed out that is power because it's inherent in the truth of the gospel you don't need to try to come up and make the gospel powerful this is making sense Oh boy, where were we? (laughs) Hey, in Acts. Did someone say in Acts? Thanks. (laughs) That was awesome. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. You see, there are so many parallels in the New and the Old Testament with Pentecost. I know we've touched on them, and I can not get into them now. But even the Tower of Babel, God does something, puts languages on the earth, and the people are divided. Why? Why did that happen? Because they were trying to do things in the strength of their own flesh. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes, people speak different languages just like that, but the people are united, not divided, because it's the strength of God, not the strength of man. So many fulfillments... Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Let's read. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Okay. Can we stop? It's like one sentence. (laughs) We were all with one accord. This phrase, one accord, and you may have heard me talk about this before, it's a kind of a big deal. The word in the Greek is homothymedon, one accord. It means homo. It means one of one, one passion, one mind, one soul. That's what it means. It's not like people in today in the church. We come together and we're like, hi, how are you? Yeah, mm, yeah, mm, nice. And you know, you put on the face. I encourage you not to do that. Let people see your heart, the good and the bad. But you know, the church thing, and then you go, and people are like, oh, we, we all get along. That's not one accord one accord, there's something that took place that was so deeply entrenched in them, it's like they were with one soul, with one mind, with one passion, with one intent. Let me tell you, only the Spirit of God can do that. I see it also when men have been to war. Some of you have been through that. There's something that happens in a man's heart with his brother in arms, when they face death, when they've had to let that person see their worst fear, see them shaking, screaming, crying, see trauma at the highest level, and they're sharing a foxhole with this guy. It's not about what they have in common. They probably don't even know what they have in common. But there is a bond formed in war that time doesn't even touch. They can see that person, if they both live through it, 40 years later, and they just embrace, boom. Because there's something between them that they won't find, in a sense, when they come home. And it's one of the greatest reasons they struggle. Because they don't find that one accord, that everything melts away, and it's me and you. They don't find that as much. They definitely don't find it in the church. And yet, it is the only place, I believe, where that is possible without trauma, by the Spirit of God. Jen and I have seen it in smatterings when we used to have youth retreats. When the power of God comes upon a place, upon a group of people, And things begin to happen that people can't explain. And they go through that together one day, two days, three days in a row. When those people go home, they are bonded together in a different way that is unexplainable. They will back each other through thick, thin, right, wrong. They They have become in one accord. Now what happens when people that are in one accord, it says what? They were in one accord and in one place. What happens when people are that bonded together by the Spirit of God and they come together into one place and begin to worship? I'll tell you, anything is possible. But you can't just decide it. And let me, I, I'm being real today, as real as I can. That doesn't happen without vulnerability. But the worst place, in most place in most people's minds, to be vulnerable is in the church, because they're just going to be judged. The enemy knows the power of spiritual fellowship at the deepest level. It is believers, actually, on the earth today. It is believers that have the greatest possible chance of true spiritual fellowship. Unbelievers don't even have the ability. Not because they're bad and we're good. No, because they just don't have the spirit of God. And how often do we see that in the church? Not too often. And that's sad to me. And I pray for that. Lord, let your, that that spirit of unity that is beyond just we had a good service, we had, oh, I enjoyed. No. Bonded together. And that happened here. People of different cultures, different languages. They lived together. Imagine, I long for that. Then I can say I long for that, and then we invite people to our home. So what do we do? We rush home, we clean everything up to make it look like this is how it always is, and then make everything like, hi, how are you, everything's fine in our life, and and then I long for this. We'll get to Peter's sermon. Help me, Lord. I did a a little study on that phrase. It says it about five or six times in the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. Once in a bad way. It says the the rulers became into one accord and went and arrested them. You can be in one accord for a bad purpose. For the enemy's plans. But every single time this phrase is used, one accord, one accord. Acts one fourteen, Acts 2, Acts 4. Acts 5, Acts 8, I think it is. Every single time that phrase is used, this one Greek word, the very next thing that happens is the Spirit of God moves in power. It's either it comes just after or just before. There is something about true spiritual fellowship and unity that is linked to the display of power. They are linked. Go to a study you will see that I'm right but just seeing it doesn't make it happen it's a choice whoa hello you guys hear me that's nice and loud it's a choice that we start making and the Lord will bring us to places will you let them see this in your life will you let them see that you know I'll share this with you and this may be dangerous can we be real you know how many times it's been in my life that I'm like I don't want to go to church. And the Lord's like, well, son, you got it because you're preaching. (laughs) Because, you know, growing up in the church, I just saw so many hypocrites in my mind. And then I grew up in it, and you see this in the Word, and you read it, and you just, something goes, oh, Lord, where is that? And then, you know, you come here and people are like, I don't like your hair, I don't like your sermon, I don't like this. And, and that's fine, but you, it's, it's just shallow. But the Lord will help us. It's something that we've prayed as, a, as an eldership and something that I pray over this church. Lord, let there be spiritual. That doesn't make us all best friends. We can't. That's impossible. That's weird. But there can be a bond of fellowship over an actual church where people come and say I just haven't there's something different it's a spiritual fellowship does that make sense it says here you know what let's go to Peter's sermon help us Lord let's go to Acts chapter 2 verse 14 so we know what happens we've been over it Peter stands up and begins to preach, yeah? Verse 14, Peter standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea, those were the ones who had mocked, those were the ones who didn't understand what had happened, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, we have to quickly stop here. It is only the third hour of the day. Who knows, the Bible doesn't waste words. Go to Acts chapter 3. Just quickly flip over in your Bible. What does it say in verse 1? Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You know what's interesting? Is there were two daily sacrifices. Every day, according to the law, there was the continual sacrifice, which was, would happen twice a day. One was at the third hour which is 9 a.m., one was at the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. And both of those hours are mentioned here specifically by the Holy Spirit. He felt to put it in here. That when the Holy Spirit was given, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it is when so many people would have been at the temple because it was actually the hour of daily sacrifice. And yet there's a sacrifice going up. What is the Old Testament pattern? Sacrifice up, power comes down. Now, there's a sacrifice going up in terms of the daily sacrifice, but there's 120 people there who know that these sacrifice has gone up. This is not necessary, and the power comes down only on them. That would have been a marked sign. Whoa, what's happening? And then sometime later, we don't know how long it was, maybe a couple of days, maybe even a week, we don't know. Peter goes to the temple, it says at the hour of prayer. It was actually the hour of sacrifice. Why? Because his brethren were going to be there sacrificing a lamb that was not necessary. And I believe he went there to plead with them, to speak to them, to teach them. Let me show you the Holy Spirit. You don't need to do this. Imagine they're all there killing and sacrificing animals for the blood, for the, for the forgiveness of sins. But the lamb, the lamb has died. So he goes there at that time, at the hour of sacrifice, and he raises a man up and heals him in front of everybody. You know what's wonderful about that is he would have been going there at that time almost all his life. They had to. Go there at 9 o'clock, hour of sacrifice, the daily sacrifice. How many of you have disciplines, but you just feel like God's not in them? You just do something that's like, God, there's no life in it. Do you know that God can come to a discipline, something mundane, and touch it with his life? All of a sudden, Peter's doing the same thing, but it's filled with the Spirit now. Does that make sense? God can come to a practical thing you do every day. Just being faithful, being faithful, and all of a sudden put meaning in it that you would have never thought was possible. Peter went from duty to desire. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a, a man, we were at a conference, and uh, it was a conference, I think it was at Bethel. And I actually went up for ministry. And this older gentleman comes and he starts to pray for me. And he lays hands, and as he's praying for me, I, I'm seeing all the stuff for him. And I'm like, nope, I'm trying to receive. But I'm seeing vision and stuff for him. As he takes his hands with me, I said, sir, you you were a Baptist pastor for like 30 years. He looks at me and he goes, yeah. So I said, I see, you were a Baptist pastor. This is where you pastored. This is what you did. This is what you did. He goes, yes. And I said, and I hear you keep telling people I have to start again. I have to start again. I have to start again because I didn't see certain things. And he said, yeah, I said, no, you don't. I said, you have basically built a massive house, like all the wood is there. You've put in all the routine, you've put in all the discipline, you've built this massive house. All that's happening is the Lord is setting fire to it, in a good sense. He's putting the Holy Spirit on it. I said, please don't think you've got to redo anything. You have so much built because of your knowledge of the word. Let the Lord set that on fire. And he just began to weep. And I encourage you, businessmen, moms, whatever, let the Lord take the mundane things like you did with these people. Some things they just continued to do exactly the same as before. They just continued to go at the same time at the same hour. But now God was on it. And it became something they longed for, something they looked forward to. In an area, they would have thought, never do I want to do that. But if you invite God onto it, you'll be amazed what he can do. With practical disciplines, basic routines, God can touch it. I hope that makes sense. Where are we? Oh, Lord help me. You know, when you love the word, every sentence is important. That's just the way. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he says, what you see here is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay? And then go to verse 22. He quotes Joel. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a amen, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him meaning Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Can we say that? Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, sorry, I'm spinning. and he quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 16, Psalm 68, Psalm 110, and then go down to verse 32, and he says, This Jesus, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out that which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Till I make your enemies your footstool, therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit excuse me, so Peter's sermon, we touched on this last week, Peter stands up, there's people speaking in tongues, Peter stands up and he says, guys, listen, there were some that were mocking, some understood, and he stands up and he says, this is what's happening, and he starts to explain it, we did the first two last week, he basically stands up in our language and says, Jesus is who the Old Testament was pointing to, meaning it's no longer for the special few, your sons, your daughters, your maidservants, your men servants." All are invited into the realm that was previously opened only to prophets, priests, kings, and judges. And he says, you are all welcome into the presence of your Father, into the presence of the Lord. And he stands up and says, Jesus is the Messiah, basically. Then in verse (coughs) 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, amen. Now, I ended here. And I had a lot of people come to me and say they'd never realized that or seen that. And we used to preach it here a lot. But it's this very simple point. For his earthly ministry, Jesus operated as a man filled by the Holy Spirit. It's a profound, simple thing to say, but it has massive impact. Jesus said, follow me. If what he did in ministry, he did as one who is divine. He was fully God and fully man. If you want to be fancy, the fancy doctrine is called hypostatic union. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. In his practical earthly ministry, he operated in his humanity, filled by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, I can applaud, but I can't follow. Okay, now we touched on that last week, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go Listen, I gave all the scriptures and everything that has to do with that. It's actually a really, really big deal. And the way they saw it as his disciples was so simple. He said, if we wait in Jerusalem, if we do not leave, we will receive whom he had. That's, it was that simple to them. And that's exactly what happened. And they believed, we have who Jesus had for ministry. Okay, now we can go and do the things that Jesus has told us to do. And they did. They were moving away from the special chosen, the special few. And what doctrine do we have today in many parts of the church? There's only the special chosen, the special few. Jesus did everything to break that down. Paid with his life to change it. No, all oh, my klesia, I have chosen you. I have called you by name. Come and I will give you authority. Now, it doesn't mean that one of you will do all that Jesus did. It's collectively, like I said, as his body. It's a team. Some have these gifts. Some have these talents. Some have that. But collectively, it should be. And I know people say, well, you're being idealistic. No, this is what the Bible teaches. When we understand this, the church in Reston the church in Leesburg, the church in Loudoun, the church in whatever city, county, when we understand that, it should be as if Jesus was walking through that city because his body is there. What did Acts 1 say of all that Jesus began to do and teach? Meaning he's still doing it and teaching. He's still doing it. He's still teaching it. How? Through his body, which is you and me. But he made a way for us to come into that with all our junk. We have junk, yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know some of you, my goodness. No, just. <laughs> we all have stuff. And if we have to wait to be perfect before the Lord will use us as a vessel, nothing will ever happen, any, ever. Amen. So Jesus had to make a way for us to stand on righteousness that wasn't our own. Just actually very practically from heaven's perspective. If I don't do that, Jesus can never leave. But he said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send him. But you need a righteousness that's not your own because the Holy Spirit will will make a righteous vessel powerful. But your righteousness is like filthy rags. 2 Timothy says that if you've broken the law of God at one point, you've broken all of it. Have you ever lied? Ever once? Every one of you have. I have. Guilty. So we need a righteousness that is not based on my own righteousness. So that I can actually demonstrate to the world and reveal the Father. What was one of Jesus' main functions in ministry? Not just signs, what is power, but for what? I have come to reveal the Father. We as a body in here in this city are actually called by God to reveal the Father. To reveal God to people. In different ways, in different shapes, in different strategies, different forms, but to reveal the Father. But we can't do that if we're stuck with our own righteousness. It doesn't compute in heaven. So the Lord gives us His righteousness. I know this is simple. Please hear me. I know some of you are like, yep, we know this. But do we know it here? And Peter says this gift is for you. Let's go to number three. We (laughs) Uh, looked at the time. It's finished and we're going to start here. Jesus did die but could not be held by death. That's why I made you repeat, it is impossible that death could hold him due to sinlessness. (sighs) Let me say this. Jesus did not lean on his divinity for earthly ministry. He was fully God, had to be from God without sin. We understand that. Otherwise his blood could never atone. Here's another shocking point for you. It may be. It may not be. You've heard me say this. I've had people argue with me about this. But I encourage you to open your heart. Jesus also did not lean on his divinity to defeat death. It's actually a really big deal in the Bible. If Jesus was going to defeat death so that we wouldn't be held by the grave when we die, that to give us eternal life, if Jesus was going to do that from his divinity, why come down? Why suffer? You know Jesus would have read Isaiah fifty-two, says that you will suffer so much that you will not be made like you. It won't even look like you're a man, physical man, that the flesh will be torn off. He read that as a boy growing up. That's me. You think that's why he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Father, is there any other way? The father says, no, drink this cup. He had to do it in his humanity. He had to face death, the devil, and sin in his humanity. Hebrews 4.15 says that he was tempted in every way like we are, but yet was found without sin. Why did he have to do it? Philippians 2, 5-9, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but was found in the appearance of the man and humbled himself to death, even to the obedience of the point of the death of the cross. Why? Because the law says it has to be a substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus didn't just die for you. He had to die as you. A life for a life. He had to die as you. He couldn't just do it from heaven. That would have compromised the law of God that he had put in the earth. He had to come down and face it as a man. That's why he overcame death. How? Through his sinlessness. It's such a big deal. And to them, they weren't expecting this. Please understand that they, we in hindsight have like, we can see things. They didn't, you know, they never believed, never even thought up something like someone coming to fulfill the law. That wasn't a thought in their mind. What do you mean fulfill the law? The law has been given to us as the remedy for sin. The law has been given to us to make us God's people. What do you mean fulfill the law? What do you mean you've come to deal with the issue of sin? We have sacrificed for that. There was no thought in their mind. You go look in the Bible. There was no thought. Jesus comes along with the truth of what is actually wrong with the world and says, I've come, Matthew 5, to fulfill the law and prophets. They were like, what are you talking about? Why? To make you righteous. Righteous because the law was given so that you would recognize you never could so I've come to make you righteous so that I can put my spirit on you so that you can function as I am functioning on the earth but not with your righteousness with mine and you will be my body on the earth my hands my feet it's actually so simple when you tie it all together but he had to do it as a man otherwise it wasn't a substitutionary sacrifice 1 Corinthians 15 actually says it somewhere for since, in verse 21, for since by man, Adam, came death, by man also came resurrection. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all will be made alive. He had to defeat death. So, and I'll end with this. When Jesus and I have said this a thousand times, and I'm going to say it a thousand times more. Jesus had to defeat sin as a man. Not with this divinity. To be a substitutionary sacrifice. And the way I've seen it, I saw this once in my head, it's like Jesus, when he went into hell, it says here he descended into Hades. He descends and he stands in front of death, personified. And death has never seen this before. The wages of sin is? Death. Death is owed to every person where there is sin. He was found to be without sin. He stands before death, the devil, in the grave. And it's like they were like, "Uh, this is awkward, because there's no sin here, and because there's no sin, I have no authority over you. And he said, that's right. It says he went into the deepest recesses of the earth to proclaim. And some people says it, it says in Peter he went to preach. That word there is proclaim. He didn't go to give people a second chance. The Bible says there's one death and then judgment. He went to proclaim victory over every plan of the enemy. I don't know I'm getting sidetracked, but friends, it's a big deal. He went down there and he stood there and he said, yes, I am sinless. Therefore, death, you have no power over me. Sin, you have nothing in me. World, you have nothing in me. Satan, you are defeated. And he's literally, he took back the keys. This is what he said. He took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And what did he say to Peter about his church? And It wasn't just Peter, the disciples. I will give you the keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That's what he said the first time. He ever mentions the word church, ecclesia, governmental, authority, body. He says, and I will give you the keys. But not yet because I have to live as a man, I have to live a sinless life, I have to face death as a man, I have to minister on the earth as one filled by the Spirit so that you can see what that looks like. I have to operate as a vessel in my humanity, but yet without sin, because I'm not from here, I'm from a different place, but I have to do it as a man, not with my divinity, so that you can see what's possible, so that you can see what it looks like to have, in a sense, the body of Christ on the earth. And then I have to defeat death as a man through suffering to give you my righteousness, because yours will never do, so that I can put my spirit in you and give you gifts and call you and know you by name and send you out into the earth as an apostolic people so that you can go with my ecclesia authority and minister. That's what they understood in the book of Acts. And that has not changed. Not at all. We've made it like it's like this, and like this, and like this. No, thousand times no. Anyway, I'm probably the most excited one here, so we should end. You can tell when people are like, he's excited, but I'm tired. So why don't we stand? I hope that made sense to you god willing we will get through peter's sermon but sometimes you just got to go back and continue to lay a foundation Hmm. tracy can you come pray for us yes i know it's terrifying you're not singing Come pray for us, Trace. This is my friend. Come here. She's really wonderful. She's not going to like me for this. (laughs) But can you pray for us? This lady has experienced, truly, she's seen and experienced the glory of the Lord. So it's great for you to pray for us.
1: Thank you, Father. Father, I just pray that every heart that has received this word will be changed that we will have a fresh revelation of why you did what you did and who you really are. Give us a fresh revelation of that and the authority that you have given us. Thank you for encountering us, for engaging with us and equipping us. through the leadership, but mainly by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for a great awakening in our hearts and in our minds, and that we go forth from this place empowered and equipped to do your perfect will. May your purposes and your plans be fulfilled. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.